Welcome to episode five of the Pharmacist Matters podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bates. Since we started the podcast back in March, so much in the world has changed. We're now in month three of managing through the various restrictions to help flatten the curve with COVID-19. And as we start to see the economy in Ontario open in various phases and regions, now we're starting to understand the important role of pharmacists and pharmacy professionals and how they've stepped up during the pandemic to serve patients and ensure that we continue to be the most accessible healthcare provider. As a healthcare community hub, we've demonstrated our value and the innovation and the services that have been delivered during the pandemic have really been an opportunity for us to work with patients and, and demonstrate not only how accessible we are, but the value that we bring to each community that we serve. As we've gone through the pandemic, we've also seen the tragic events happening in the United States and around the world as it relates to systemic racism and social injustices. We have a responsibility to continue the dialogue around addressing and understanding the barriers, educating with respect to where we are as a society, and putting forward concrete solutions to address the barriers to systemic racism. I see our role as an association and personally as a leader of the Ontario Pharmacists Association to lead these discussions and most importantly to listen. Listen and understand the experiences of all people of different backgrounds Um, and certainly as we look at the month of June and it being Pride Month, we also have an opportunity to talk about inclusiveness and diversity across the board. By understanding and educating ourselves about the barriers, we can then start to talk about concrete solutions and what can we do as a community to promote diversity. It's with that in mind that I have three very compelling guests joining us on the program today, starting uh, with Sarah Bento de Sosa, who's a recent graduate of the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the University of Toronto. Her areas of special interest are cardiology, LGBTQ care and advocacy, and men's and women's health. Currently, she practices as a pharmacy intern at a methadone dispensing pharmacy at a hectic big box store, and at Cover Health, a virtual walk-in clinic. Also joining us in the program today is Pamela Ipp, who is a recent graduate of the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy. She has worked primarily in a pediatric pharmacy where she has built her skills in compounding and pediatric dosing. Pam spent much of her time through school enriching student life as UPS secretary and vice president. She now holds the co-president for life for the 2020 graduating class, a role where she will sit on the Young Alumni Committee. Also joining us on today's program is Jesse Cajarini, is a recent graduate of the PharmD program from the University of Toronto Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy. She currently works as a pharmacy intern in a community setting with an addiction medicine focus in her hometown of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Jesse has a particular interest in the topic of women's health and is passionate about improving access to quality of LGBTQIA plus healthcare. I'm looking forward to learning about the intersection of care in each of your respective practices and experiences. And before we jump in, starting with Sarah, 
I also wanted to mention that as an association, we're taking a leadership position by establishing in the month of July a diversity task force. The task force mandate will be to meet over the course of the next several months to address and understand some of the systemic barriers, not just to the association from a governance and staff perspective, but also to the pharmacy community at large and come up with recommendations for consideration at the board. I'm looking forward to working with that group as chair. Uh, we'll have, it will be composed of five uh, members uh, who will bring unique uh, and, and diverse backgrounds to the conversation. So with that, Sarah, I wanted to start with you and really get a better understanding of some of the work you're doing in this area of uh, LGBTQ and, and some of the um, passion that you have uh, exhibited. Um, perhaps we can start with the resolution that you tabled at the OPA AGM last year, and you can tell us a little bit about where all that came from. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin, for such a great intro to the topic today. Uh, so previously last year around this time, I presented at the AGM um, a resolution to support and increase our ability to have a knowledge-based practice in LGBTQ care. It's something that we don't have a lot of guidance in through our educational journey. And it's, I think, something that uh, I would I wanted to encourage OPA as well as other associations to implement as part of their continuing education series. And historically, several different associations such as the Ontario Medical Association and the Ontario Nurses Association have put together some sort of course or show of support. And I wanted us also as an association and as a community pharmacist to be able to show our support and as well to gain knowledge in this area to better help patients. That's fantastic. And, and this being Pride Month, maybe you can talk a little bit about how pharmacists can create a welcoming environment for LGBTQ patients and how they can assist their patients through uh, different programs and services. Um, one of the first things that I can say for pharmacies and pharmacists to employ would be to have some sort of signage or like flag or sign indicating that they are inclusive, LGBTQ friendly, that they know what's up. Um, it really helps to, for somebody who may be unsure if they are able to approach the pharmacist with a specific question that is related to their health, that they can, that a person can feel comfortable knowing that the pharmacy team there is able to be respectful with their pronouns, how they present maybe physically as well, maybe not being a um, hundred, like not presenting as a traditional male or female looking person. So it really helps when the pharmacy team is aware of that and is able to show that through either signage or um, having like a flag or having brochures and things like that. And there's a lot of organizations where you can get this sort of material from. Uh, Rainbow Health has some great uh, resources for healthcare professionals and as well CPHA uh, last year put together a couple of resource tools that I actually had the chance to work on while I was a student there, uh, where you, we have some posters and some tools for both patients as well as the pharmacy team to better understand and be inclusive with their patients. I really do think uh, emphasizing education is so critical to ensuring that uh, pharmacies offer a care model to the diversity of their 
patient population. It's one of the things that since I started OPA back in, in September of last year, really wanted to focus on how can we ensure that our professional development courses reflect that and reflect that of the community of who we serve from membership, but also of the broader uh, patient population. It's one of the reasons why we are launching a course uh, providing inclusive care at your pharmacy for the LGBTQ community. And I think that's, you know, one of many things that um, has to be done. I mean, there's never a silver bullet. I think there's always uh, multiple levels of uh, efforts that have to be undertaken. But uh, certainly to what you're talking about and, and knowing that we're a healthcare community hub and a resource for for patients, um, wanted to get your take on how do you think we're doing as, as a profession and also as a business from pharmacy in meeting the needs of, of this community. And, and, you know, are we, is the gap still real? Is, is it, is it uh, something that uh, we need to do more uh, to address some of these concerns? Absolutely. I still think there is a gap in care because so much of it is based on your own personal education and knowledge in the area. Some people that I've worked with or that I've talked to have had experiences where they weren't sure what to do or they weren't sure what to say just because they had never had either inclusivity training or they weren't sure what the right pronouns were to talk to a patient uh, or they didn't even know if the medication dose was correct for that particular patient because it was different from what they had seen before. Just because in some cases when dealing with LGBTQ patients and their medications, the doses are not always on label. So it may be difficult for a pharmacist to understand why a dose is given the way it is. So I think a lot of that does come down to that there is a lack of education in this area. And it's something that I have tried to address while I was at the University of Toronto in sort of promoting and advocating for an increase in education in these areas. It's, I'm sure it's very difficult to build a curriculum and include everything. But uh, in this case, I think that it's very valuable to include sort of these um, cases where you're having patients who have maybe a medication regimen that you won't be able to find in the CTC or you won't be able to find if you just look it up on Lexicomp. So it's very important to me that we have good sources of education and that the knowledge there is accessible to as many people as possible so that they can take the um, they can take advantage of it and self-educate. Yeah, you raised some really good points. And, and I think so much of it's about awareness. Uh, and, and as an association, uh, I think there's a responsibility uh, for us to communicate these um, programs and also to listen and understand, you know, where, where can we provide additional services and products that will help uh, close that gap? And, and you know, the, these types of conversations are so, so important as, part of the solution. And I think what we're seeing broadly in our society is that perhaps, um, you know, I use this term carefully, but perhaps there's some hope and, and silver lining in uh, all of the protests and, and attention that's being paid to social injustices, which include um, sexual orientation, uh, ethnicity, and so on uh, across the diversity spectrum, because these are sometimes they're uncomfortable conversations about uh, attitudes of society and, and what we need to do to not only understand what uh, you know advantages certain people have over others and how to essentially achieve equality, uh, but we need to have them. I mean, as much as uh, in some cases they're they're not easy, um, they're they're necessary conversations, and I think part of it is understanding 
what, what are the missing pieces and what do we have to do to drive towards solutions? So I think the work you're doing certainly lends itself to that. Um, it's important work. And, and I know there's lots more that we can be doing and should be doing. So with one of the, the reasons uh, and inspirations behind doing a podcast like this was to try to showcase some of the, the good work that's out there, but also have the conversations about what we need to do uh, as a profession and uh, as, a, uh, as a sector um, we have certainly a, a role to play and, and a platform. Do you see yourself uh, continuing uh, doing additional programs? Um, I'm always on the move looking for a new sort of area to focus on or more information to learn. Uh, right now, I'm trying to keep up to date with the latest guidelines, the latest endocrine guidelines for transgender care. So there's been some great guidelines that have come out of the U.S. as well as B.C. and Rainbow Health that are all really good resources if you want to learn more. But I'm also trying to take a step back and look at things from a social lens, not just from about the pharmacotherapy or about the patient care. Part of being a healthcare professional is being able to connect with your patients on a social level. And even if you don't understand their situation, it's being able to empathize with what they are going through and what social determinants of health have created sort of their unique struggles with the healthcare system. And I can tell you from experience from friends and colleagues, when you're LGBTQ or trans, you have to access the healthcare system very differently. There are a lot more barriers that make it more difficult to access healthcare providers, contact healthcare providers that actually understand how to, um, progress your treatment and how to get you to where you want to be. And so I encourage people to also look at resources that are less about the medications and more about understanding people. Uh, Some great things, if you'd like to watch documentaries or watch movies, there are two really good documentaries that I would recommend. There's one called Fire in the Blood, which deals with the beginning of the HIV epidemic in Africa and just talks about the difficulty in actually obtaining drugs for HIV treatment. And it really puts into perspective how much power um, there is in having a drug and being able to um, give it to people, but how, how difficult it is to access those drugs when they're expensive and they become almost unaffordable for the regular person. And there's also another fantastic documentary that's more about the social um, lives of how people sort of uh, came together and formed communities. It's called Paris is Burning. And in this documentary, they talk about the advent of the drag scene. And it's so timely right now where it talks about transgender people or people who identify as not male or not female and how they were treated by regular society and how they were treated by others and how they came together to form a community where they could celebrate their differences and their similarities and really embrace their uniqueness. So I would encourage everybody to look not just for the the drug therapy and not just for what medications can I use, but also how can I learn about what my patients are going through and how can I learn about what my patients feel and think on a regular basis when they interact with the healthcare system. It's important to see it not just from our perspective as healthcare professionals, but from their perspective, where there may not be the same trust in the healthcare system that the average person has. 
I want to bring Pamela into this uh, discussion as well, because uh, I know you've had some uh, experiences with the Farmer Pride activities at the club, and maybe uh, we can uh, talk a little bit about some of the highlights and achievements around that. Um, and uh, and Pam, I, I'd love to hear some of your perspectives on that as well. Yeah, so um, back when we were still at the faculty as students, um, Sarah and I were actually the co-presidents of the pharmacy student uh, LGBTQ plus advocacy group, Pharma Pride. And some of the things that we did to try to um, raise awareness of um, the circumstances surrounding LGBTQ plus and then healthcare and being a healthcare professional and um things that we can do to address the, the disparities between um, those of that society. Uh, we sort of brought in different speakers. We held a lot of different um, presentations to try to address some of the gaps that um, maybe couldn't have been taught when we were still at the faculty or even something as simple as we have presentations annually just emphasizing the different changes in terminology or trying to understand how to how patients identify and just reflect back their identities to themselves um if sarah has anything to add on as well from any of the stuff we've done in the past no that's great that's a lot of what we tried to do as a club was really to advocate what it means to be lgbtq and how to understand what that means and what the words mean, what the vocabulary means, because it's always changing. Yeah, it's really an inspiration that you started that club. And uh, it sounds like you've been able to parlay that into even a much uh, broader and greater effort. Um, Pam, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, some of the factors that contribute to the structural stigma faced by the LGBTQ uh, community. Definitely. So, like stigma in and of itself is basically at its core having like an us versus you mentality it's like um identifying that there is differences between different people and then putting labels to that so from a structural standpoint it's mainly the policies procedures that um, government institutions uh really have placed that have really emphasize the differences between the different populations. So for structural stigma, it's something that I actually touch upon in the module that I present for LG, um, for OPA's LGBTQ plus um, continuing education. And sort of how the lens that I took when addressing structural stigma was really breaking it down into uh, social policies and then social behaviors where social policies are like the rules and policies that really restrict the rights and opportunities of a marginalized group. So in this context, the marginalized group is LGBTQ+. And I think the more common one that a lot of people know about is like blood donations and the restrictions surrounding MSMs wanting to donate blood. Although in the past, like they weren't allowed at all, um, there was a lot of advocacy and now there are, they are allowed to donate. However, it, there's still a lot of restrictions surrounding that as well. Um, and then on the flip side, there's also social behaviors. So these are more like the attitudes and the actions that are adopted by society or the people in society, just based on their perceived norms. Um, so uh, the main example I can think of for this one usually is the coming out process and the concept of how you like people in the LGBT plus community, they have to reveal their identity 
whereas like those are for example cisgendered um live that are heterosexual living this like what we would call a heteronormative life like this is considered normal we don't have to come out as i'm cisgendered i am a female that identifies as female and i like boys because that's just how we assume um society is supposed to run it's fascinating and and i can only imagine the impact uh, on mental health too when uh, going through the uh, in some cases the the conversations with loved ones and, and friends and so forth. Um, and, and the more support we can provide and make it more uh, of an accepted norm uh, and, and remove that barrier of fear and anxiety, I think uh, we'll be making uh, a lot of progress in those fronts. Uh, when I think about pharmacy as being that community hub, um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how how you think pharmacies are uniquely positioned to provide some of these optimal care models for uh, the LGBTQ community? Because, you know, I don't know if there's that degree of awareness and, and maybe there is, maybe, maybe uh, people will look at that as being a resource, um, but are there things that we can do to better market that and design the programs and, and where pharmacies can play a greater role in, in these areas? Um, perhaps you can elaborate on that. Um, I think that at the central hub, like the pharmacies and pharmacists as the most successful healthcare professional, especially in times like this, uh, we might be the first point of contact to the healthcare system that um, patients may face. So as the first point of contact, I think that just having a very positive experience would truly motivate their um, views on how they see the healthcare system. Um, in the past, I think it was the, the TransPulse study, they were looking, one of the studies was looking at how transgendered people, when they they would actually not avoid that like necessary medical treatment in the ER setting because of the stigma that they faced in the past and those that did go um, overall had a negative experience. So being the pivotal um, pharmacy that's the first point of contact, just having that positive experience for that patient will really open their uh, eyes and gates to the perspective of like healthcare system and being able to access care. And I think that as pharmacists, that's a huge thing we can go forward with. Um, the main things I think we can do as pharmacists to help would be to like, reflect on our actions, like be mindful of our understanding, our attitudes. And it's okay to not understand everything, just but being open to the to learning and having the knowledge that you that you want to um receive to help them would be a really good um, starting platform. Continuing to learn would be another one. So like listening to their experiences, um, the perspectives that they have and acknowledging that those factors, uh, changing our practice would be another way. So like intervene if you see uh, any offensive behaviors or language being um, drawn to a situation, even at your pharmacy. And honestly, just being an ally there so that they know that this is a safe space that we are able to try to help accommodate in any way that is possible. And then being that first point of contact so that they know that this, the healthcare system is there for them. And although sometimes there may be some negative experiences, overall there are positive ones and hopefully pharmacy can contribute to that. So common theme here is support, 
right? It's resources, support. And I think as a society, you know, we could use a lot more love. Uh, and, and through that love, the support uh, that people know that uh, they're accepted, that there's tolerance and respect. And, and so much of that is through the healthcare system, but, you know, also within our family and, and friend circles. And I think that in part goes a long way is the education and awareness, right? And understanding uh, and listening to the, the different challenges and, and healthcare needs. So I, I, the work you're doing is certainly contributing uh, a long way to addressing some of those gaps. And the specific course that uh, is being taught through OPA, can you speak a little bit about what pharmacists can expect to learn from the module and how it will be useful for their practice, especially during uh, Pride Month? but not just for the month, but looking at their entire career. So the module, the modules provided by um, OPA, it's actually a course that's split into four different modules. Um, so the first module is taught by myself, and it's basically doing an introduction to LGBTQ plus healthcare. So I'm looking into um, explaining the, under, um, the knowledge about terminology, common terminology that's in this community, um, and understanding like how these identities are interplay essentially. Uh, I talk about uh, stigma, structural stigma, and then I also break down some of the health disparities that disproportionately affect this population. Um, some of the other modules, Jessie will probably touch upon this, she's later on, she talks about transgender health. There's also one on HIV and AIDS. And then um, James Morrison will also talk about how you can incorporate a lot of different things into making your uh, community pharmacy more of a safe space and environment. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Jesse. Uh, and I know you're, uh, you know, you're part of this, and you've been able to uh, participate in uh, the one course. Um, but, but I think maybe let's start with um, getting your perspective and bringing you into this conversation about what is important uh, for all pharmacists to learn about uh, transgender care. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the comments from Sarah and Pam as well. They're just two awesome co-students uh, and I'm very honored to have you know worked with them and they're, uh, they inspire me to expand my knowledge of LGBTQ care. So uh, before I start on talking, you know, why it's important for pharmacists to learn transgender care, I do want to mention that I'm by no means an expert in the topic, but I definitely would consider myself an ally. And I definitely believe that in order to advance LGBTQ care in Ontario, we do need to all be on board. And that includes people who are in and uh, who do not identify as LGBTQ. So with that being said, there are definitely an abundance of reasons why pharmacists need to learn transgender care. But I'd like to start off by mentioning the TransPulse project, which Pam had recently mentioned, and some of the data from the study, just to kind of put some perspective uh, out there in terms of the experience of, of trans Ontarians. So for those of uh, the listeners who are, who are tuning in who might not be aware, the TransPulse project was a community-based research project that was conducted in back in 2009 and 2010, and it collected information from over 400 transgender Ontarians. And some of the data that they uh, were able to obtain from this community-based research related to the discrimination and the violence that are 
trans people do experience, unfortunately, in Ontario, as well as the impacts of that discrimination on their participation in health and their experience of the healthcare system in Ontario. So uh, that study actually found that around one in 10 trans people had been denied care or had had care interrupted in the emergency room because of the fact that they were trans. Uh, they also found one in four people reported they had been belittled for being trans by an emergency care provider and 21% of them had avoided ER the ER when they needed it because they were trans. So these statistics really show that trans people unfortunately experience healthcare in a completely different way from other LGBTQ individuals and certainly those who do not identify as LGBTQ. And ultimately that shows that discrimination faced by trans people in Ontario leads to detrimental health outcomes. So to answer the original question, Pharmacists should feel not only compelled, but also responsible, in my opinion, to step up and change this narrative to improve the experience of trans people living in Ontario and across this country and around the world. I think it's a well-known fact, as I think everyone in the chat has already mentioned, that pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professional. So we serve as that crucial first point of contact with patients, including transgender folks. And we have the opportunity to be that positive interaction with the healthcare system, which can potentially help restore trans people's faith in healthcare and potentially increase their likelihood of, you know, res resorting to a pharmacy for advice rather than avoiding the healthcare system as a whole. Um, actually, Sarah had also sent me a study before we hopped on the discussion today. So thanks, Sarah. She sent me this um, a paper by Rotondi and colleagues, which actually used data from the TransPulse project. And it was a case series design that helped to characterize rates of non-prescription hormone use, as well as self-performed reassignment surgeries by trans individuals in Ontario. And they found that of the people in the study who were using hormone replacement therapy, about one quarter of them had obtained the hormones from non-prescription sources. So they, those things can include, you know, friends, the internet, the street, or from strangers, and so on. So I think that really opened my eyes. So it kind of made me realize that pharmacists, you know, should be very cognizant of the of inclusivity in their pharmacies, but also be acutely aware that as a result of past discrimination by healthcare providers, including possibly by pharmacists, trans patients may result to using unsafe hormones in an unmonitored environment, which obviously carries huge health risks like injection safety or lack thereof and infection, clotting and that sort of thing. So in a way, being well-informed and knowing how to formulate treatment plans for trans folks could also be deemed kind of like a harm reduction approach as well. So I think pharmacists really have the opportunity to coach and uh, train trans individuals, particularly trans men, on self-injection technique and needle safety. And it's a great opportunity for pharmacists to be directly involved in the care of these trans folks. I find the stats that you started with in the outset of your conversation shocking and, and frankly, un unacceptable. I don't think there should be anybody uh, in this province or country that uh, would um, accept that uh, gap in care and, uh, and, and in some cases mistreatment. Uh, so I would agree with you. I think there is a responsibility for all healthcare providers and all people to uh, mitigate that and uh, and make sure that uh, it doesn't happen again. I mean, we're seeing things in our society, and and I often remember uh, growing up, you know, my parents would say, "You judge a society by how you deal with uh, diversity, how you deal with the elderly, how you deal with uh, and 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 how you manage uh, situations of poverty and and those that are disadvantaged." 
all of the things that uh, we're starting to see almost uh, endemic in our society uh, across the board. Um, you know, look at long-term care and, and some of the treatment of residents uh, on all of these measures were, were failing. And uh, we, we have to do better, uh, particularly as it relates to um, the LGBTQ community and, and, as you've pointed out, transgender care in, in particular. Uh, you know, it, it certainly is gut-wrenching to hear things like that, that people would be actually be denied health care um, due to who they are. Uh, so, you know, I think these conversations hopefully lead to some of the uh, solutions and education Um but uh, but they're definitely necessary, and, and we need to uh, sustain that momentum around education and awareness. Uh, maybe you can discuss a little bit about your vision for uh, LGBTQ plus care in pharmacy. Um, mm. You know, from your perspective, what can pharmacists do to learn more, and uh, what are some of the initiatives you'd like to highlight? Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, being a very very recent grad, my career is at its sort of start. <laughs> so I don't have too much experience in terms of, you know, um, working directly in an LGBTQ setting. But I do think that the most important way that LGBTQ care in pharmacy will advance is like Pam and Sarah both had mentioned, as, as well as yourself, Justin, is that education piece. It's for pharmacists to take their own initiatives for themselves to go out and learn, listen to LGBTQ voices and amplify them. And also, you know, reading guidelines and consulting resources that are written in correspondence with LGBTQ folks, such as, you know, the Sherborne Health Centre in Toronto or the World Professional Association for Transgender Health or WPATH guidelines. These are really great resources that you can, you know, take the initiative to go out and read and truly want to learn um, so that you, you have that fundamental knowledge going forward. So doing that work to educate yourself is sort of the first step in my mind. And then secondly, walking the walk, as the saying goes, is so important. And I'd like to echo Sarah's uh, earlier statements and the importance of showing support by putting signage up in the pharmacy. You know, offering LGBTQ programs at your pharmacy can really help to signal to LGBTQ patients that your pharmacy is a safe space for them to access care. So in my own, you know, from my own perspective, uh, living in Fender Bay, Ontario, I have a heart for the northern communities up here and working specifically with Indigenous folks. So I really want to, in my own career, um, create those safe spaces and uh, really, you know, make it um, make it mandatory for pharmacists and pharmacies to have that safe space. And you know, to me, like you had mentioned earlier, Justin, it it should be mandatory, and it it just it's the right thing to do to make people feel safe and and able to ask questions and approach you. So I think definitely education, and then also um, putting up signage and and you know creating that welcoming space. Maybe there's a role for the association to create some standardized messaging signage, and I'm wondering um, where where you think that is in terms of adoption. Uh, I mean. Not going to hold you to any numbers, but ballpark-wise, if you look at there's 4,600 pharmacies, you know, how big is this uh, gap uh, in terms of creating that safe place um, and and creating the awareness uh, that um, you know welcoming environment um, conducive to patient care for for all people, all all backgrounds and diversities, mm-hmm. but particularly for the LGBTQ community. Uh, do you have any sense of um, you know the the um, penetration of this in terms of signage and things of that nature? Yeah, good, very good question. I know, you know, for myself being from Thunder Bay, I don't have too much experience um, besides obviously placements in, in school when I was at University of Toronto working in Southern Ontario. So maybe um, Sarah or Pam can chime in after I 
kind of give my thoughts here about um, their experience in southern Ontario. But I know certainly up in up in Thunder Bay and in this region, uh, there's definitely a lack. Um, I can maybe think of, you know, one or two places in Thunder Bay that are sort of marketed as an LGBTQ focused uh, center for education and that sort of thing. I definitely think that 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 needs to be again the standard. Um, you should, you know, you're offering care. It shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't matter the person's background, their gender or sexual orientation, um, their race, anything like that. So I think that at least from my point of view in my limited career experience, I have not seen enough pharmacies um, visibly supporting LGBTQ individuals and. I hope to contribute to improving that throughout my career here. Yeah, uh, Sarah, Pam, do you have uh, any perspectives on that? During one of my rotations in my last year, uh, one of the things that one of the initiatives that I wanted to do was really uh, improve the LGBTQ and safe space environment in the pharmacy that the community pharmacy that I was working at at the time. Um, so I was looking into some of the resources or other pharmacies that may have adopted. Uh, some sort of ways to signal that they are a safe space, and it was it was a little disheartening because it was it was like sort of few and far between, and majority of them really reside in the downtown core of Toronto. Um, I think that as we venture out of uh, metropolitan areas, it's it's harder for um, this community to really access care or even take the first step to try to find a place like. Um, in some of the pharmacies that I'm working right now, although we're open when they come in, there's not much that we can really provide as resources or like places that we can sort of show, please like um, tell people where to go in order to access care. Like there's, there are places like mental health, the prep clinic, um, but it's, it's even like, it's hard to navigate healthcare when you're not necessarily in LGBTQ Q plus the community and then it gets even more complex um, in this setting and I know that like a lot of patients they they're really involved in the care which is great but the reason behind it is because there there is not as much of a support from our perspective as well um, if Sarah has anything to say about Toronto or the southern Ontario area as well yes I think it's very few and far in between where I can think of pharmacies that I know have that big LGBTQ presence. There's a couple like in Barrie that Drew the pharmacist has worked with to create inclusivity and diversity and also to provide signage in the pharmacy showing them as a safe space. And I believe there's definitely quite a few in the downtown area, particularly around um, the Church and Wellesley area, traditionally the gay village, where there are pharmacies that are directly um, marketed towards the LGBTQ population where they they are able to take all aspects of care because they have that training and they have that that background in it and ultimately I think I would like to see some at least more pharmacies providing some sort of signage or um, open welcome signal that they're able to you know converse with patients who are LGBTQ uh, but it definitely requires some sort of help from like an association, for example, where you can provide sort of some standardized messaging that everybody can feel like they can like they can post in their wall on their wall or in their window and be confident that they can also um, stand by what that sign says. And that's important, too. 
the, the you can you can post a sign, no problem. But it's about standing by what, what that sign says and what it means in terms of inclusivity and diversity, and to be able to say, yes, we follow these principles. Yes, we can help you, and yes, we will not turn anybody away, nor will we ever ridicule you or be insensitive because we are in an inclusive place. So mm. it's a definitely something that we can work towards, and I think. Um, it's encouraging to see that there has been a lot of growth in the past couple of years where I have seen more pharmacies popping up with inclusivity messaging, but definitely something we need to work towards though. Yeah. I, I think I can see a role for the association to coordinate efforts. And as we uh, look to launch in July, the diversity task force, we will be talking about uh, issues pertaining to LGBTQ plus patients, as well as um, the, uh, the full spectrum of diversity from uh, all aspects and, and looking at, you know, what are the ways that we can not only provide leadership, but things that will uh, help uh, address some of those barriers. And uh, I think it is a multi-pronged approach. Um, and this, this has certainly been a helpful conversation to shape some of the uh, specific actions that we uh, can consider taking moving forward. Um, wanted to circle back to Jesse and just uh, perhaps conclude on the question around what uh, what people can expect from the transgender module uh, that we're working on. Um, perhaps you could just talk a little bit specifically about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Pam had mentioned that there's four modules in the LGBTQ healthcare course offered by OPA, and I will be doing the transgender care module, which um, we will do, we will definitely do a deep dive into sort of the mean bones of the actual transgender, um, gender affirming hormone therapy regimens. And that actually includes not only um, adult trans patients, but also adolescent trans patients as well. So for a variety of ages of uh, clients that may present to your pharmacy, you will gain the knowledge of the you know treatment the gender affirming hormone therapy treatment plans that you you are definitely uh, involved with as a pharmacist in in terms of formulation we also definitely review in detail the monitoring that goes behind these plans in terms of you know before during and after the hormone therapy treatment um, in terms of mitigating long-term risks of the use of the medications that are utilized for trans individuals. So pharmacists do play a, a huge role in, you know, not only helping to formulate the, the treatment plans, but also mitigating long-term risks. And we definitely do a deep dive in, in that as well. So I'm very excited to present that in module four. This has been really helpful uh, for our listeners, uh, myself included, to learn about some of the initiatives that are underway. And I, I really want to thank uh, each of you, uh, Sarah, uh, Pamela, and uh, Jesse, for joining us on today's program and sharing some of your experiences and uh, and having an honest conversation about where the gaps exist. I think we saw or heard uh, some sobering uh, data on just how big this problem is and uh yeah, I think we we it's worth emphasizing and reinforcing the need for leadership uh, and the the responsibility of the profession, of the of the business of pharmacy and the associations to work together in a coordinated fashion to implement solutions. And you certainly have my commitment to continue this conversation and uh, work towards uh, concrete actions that uh, together as a community we can. Uh, 
we can do better and uh, and better is something that uh, we should all be striving for so thanks uh, to each of you for your contributions uh, i would do want to encourage uh, our members uh, to uh, have a look at the course uh, that is launching uh, today, June 18th. Um, it uh, is all about LGBTQ plus inclusive care at your pharmacy. You've heard uh, today at this program some of the uh, exciting material and, and helpful resources that will be included. So uh, we conclude this, uh, thanking you once again for listening to the Pharmacist uh, Matters podcast. We will be back in, in July with episode uh, six. And until then, take care of yourselves and be safe.